The following pre-recorded program is brought to you by Wrestling with the Inner Man. Welcome to Wrestling with the Inner Man, because the first fight we face each and every day is a fight with our flesh. Do we listen to our selfish, sinful nature or to divine nature guided by the Holy Spirit? Your host, David Savage, is a product of the West Texas desert and energy industry who recently received the biggest promotion of his life, reporting directly to the top boss, God. We hope you're ready to rumble because wrestling with the inner man begins now. Good evening, WWM listeners. Hey, 17 years ago in 2006, Matthew McConaughey starred in a romantic comedy movie titled Failure to Launch where he played a 35-year-old man still living with his parents who shows no interest in leaving the comfortable life that they have made for him. It grossed $128 million. The next year, in 2007, Dr. Leonard Sachs published the first edition of his book, Boys Adrift, and the subtitle is The Five Factors Driving the Growing Epidemic of Unmotivated Boys and Underachieving Young Men. So I just finished reading the 2016 updated edition of this book last week, after my guest today had recommended it to me after reading my book. So I must say, Dr. Sachs has done his research and has put his finger, or should I say, all five digits on the root causes of this serious societal problem. It's certainly something that many parents and teachers of young men are wrestling with, which makes it a great topic for the show. My guest today is a 1995 U.S. Air Force Academy graduate who retired at the rank of colonel and last served as command pilot, having served with distinction for over 24 years. While attending the academy, he was a four-year lacrosse letterman and served as a coaching graduate assistant. Today, he is the passport to lead director and head boys lacrosse coach at Houston Christian High School. Colonel Travis Koch, thank you so much for coming on the show, and welcome to Wrestling with the Inner Man. Thanks, David. It's my pleasure to be here. All right. Well, Travis, before we get to talking about this book, Boys Adrift, Tell our listeners a little bit about uh, your childhood influences, your own family, and how you came to this position at Houston Christian High School after uh, leaving the Air Force. Certainly. Uh, well, I was born in Houston. My dad's a lifelong Houstonian. Uh, when, I grew up mostly, though, on the East Coast. I attended grade school in Baltimore, Maryland, and high school in Northern Virginia. And while I was in high school, I came into a, a relationship with Christ through a ministry called Young Life. Uh, there were a group of men and women who, in essence, invaded our public high school uh, for the sake of the gospel and introduced me to Christ. Uh, wh- while in high school, I was recruited by the Air Force Academy and uh, for lacrosse and started an almost 30-year career in Colorado Springs. That's the summer of 1991. I was fortunate to get a pilot slot coming out of the academy, and I ended up flying F-15Cs and F-22s for most of my career. My parents, however, moved back to Houston soon after I graduated high school. My mom and one of her friends started scheming to introduce their kids to one another on a blind date. So on December 26, 1998, um, I met Miss Amanda Cares, the former Miss Amanda Cares. We ended up having a lunch date that lasted 13 hours long, which is probably a completely different podcast. We might have to do that. (laughs) But we were married in uh, 2000 and have traveled around with the Air Force, had two boys along the way. Uh, uh, We moved around, and Amanda's dad ended up passing in 2017. We were stationed in Alaska at the time. 
And we just felt God calling us back to Houston to be near uh, our parents. Um, Way back on our first date at uh, Cafe Express, I had mentioned that I wanted to be a teacher and a coach someday. And, well, I eventually made true on that on that promise to her. After retiring in 2020, um, I was asked to be part of the community at Houston Christian, where I've been teaching leadership and coaching boys lacrosse for the past few years and, and just feeling a calling to invest in young men's education. Well, God bless you for that. And, you know, we sure need guys like you. And it's a sterling credentials. You know, I'm an Air Force brat myself. Yes, My sir. dad was in for 26, but he was in the security, you know, spook work. <laughs> Uh, well, now that we have uh, some knowledge of your understanding on the topic, working with high school boys, let, let's dig into this book, Boys Adrift. We don't have time today to delve into all five factors, but uh, I will list them here in order that they are covered in the book, just so folks can go investigate that if they're interested in those other areas. Again, these are the factors that the author identified as driving the growing epidemic of unmotivated boys and underachieving young men. So number one, changes at school in the educational format and curriculum over the last 30 years, and particularly the acceleration of the elementary curriculum and abolition of uh, competitive formats. Number two, the advent of realistic, immersive video games. They're very pervasive these days. Number three, the overprescribing of stimulant medications. Now, we're not going to talk about that, but it's like Adderall and, you know, ADHD, so that's uh, another whole separate topic. And number four, also, we won't cover, but it's endocrine disruptors, which are in the environment due to plastics and other things that he has uh, looked into this research. But it has blunted or eliminated sex differences in behavior, females becoming less feminine and males becoming less masculine. And then number five is the devaluation and disintegration of the masculine ideal resulting in failure to launch males. Hmm. So as an educator, Travis, let's begin with educational format changes, and as a teacher and coach, what have you seen that aligns with Dr. Sachs' findings, you know, and specifically, you know, for boys? Sure. Uh, Well, there's three things that Dr. Sachs talks about uh, that are impacting our boys in regards to education. The first is accelerating elementary curriculum. So um, think of adding more reading or math problems to the kindergartners and what they're doing every, every day. Now, I can't speak too much on his research Um, especially since I'm at the high school level. But what I do remember is when my younger son went through kindergarten, he did a lot more work on paper than I think I remember playing blocks most days, you know, something really leading edge. Um, The the second that he talks about is uh, a difference between maybe a book knowledge, which uh, there's a German word, Wissenschaft, versus a heart knowledge, uh, which, again, a, a German word, uh, kindness in education. Th- think of this being a difference in knowing a subject or knowing a spouse. For example, in the English language, we have one word for both of those. It's no. Um, but in Spanish language, they have two words. One is saber. That would be like to know a subject or to know about something versus conocer, which is a heart knowledge or a true understanding uh, of the issue. So, I don't know if you remember the scene from Goodwill Hunting, um, where Great movie. right after uh, Will um, catches his doctor off guard about a painting that he drew, uh, Robin Williams sits down on a park bench and goes through with Matt Damon's character about reading all the books on art or war or love might give you that brain knowledge of the subject, 
but it's not going to give you that heart knowledge because Will had never been there. He'd never seen the Sistine Chapel or stood in front of a painting that took his breath away. He'd never been in war holding someone who's gasping for their last breath. Mm-hmm. He's never been vulnerable enough to share his heart uh, with a woman to, um, to really develop that deep sense and that deep knowledge of any of those subjects. Well, our boys are facing some of that based on some of the education system challenges. For example, um, there's not a lot of uh, sensory development in them, or maybe intentionality, I would say. Really, we're looking for results. We're looking for test scores. We're looking right. for grade point averages. Um, we're looking for numbers, which is a lot of the head knowledge, but not necessarily the the sensory experiential. Org- yes, yeah. sir, that, the, that these young men are, and maybe the investment in that. So we need to find ways to be able to engage them in those ways. The third and final impact Dr. Sachs talks about in education is maybe the lack of uh, competition. When I was in sixth grade, uh, I had a math teacher, Beverly Hurt, who would line us up on one end of the room, and we had to sprint to the front and solve the flashcard of the parentheses, multiplication, division, addition, subtraction, write it on the board, and then double back. And the first one to be able to do that would win. And I loved it. Uh, you know, this competition, especially any type of group competition, is something that I yearned for when I was a kid and maybe something that's been lacking today. We see some classes where teachers really are good at this. Um, I've gotten to sit in um, a physics classroom and seen one of our teachers at HC pair different groups together and put their thinking caps on and uh, have a finite set of time where I have to come up with the right answer and be able to present it. And you see an eagerness to learn and do right, not even necessarily for their own learning, but they want to beat their friends that are sitting at the table, maybe that's right next to them. Um, are, you know, hopefully they're outwitting one another. And by doing that, they're gaining in their wits. There are other schools in the area um, that do a really Uh, They have the house program where the entire school population is put into a certain team where they can set each other, uh, not against each other, but have a competition like Harry Potter, if you will, the different houses. Yes, sir. And so whether it's on the field, if it's in the gym, if it's in the classroom, boys want to compete. And hopefully we're looking at ways in order to do that. Well, I, you know, didn't write a book like Dr. Uh, uh, Sachs did, but I know when I was a kid, I was – I was pretty smart, you know, so I would get bored easily. And then we had, like, I, I remember specifically, we had, like, two PEs and recess or something. You know, I mean, so you had a chance to really get out and run around. And I think now, you know, it's like you sit still. I visited my kids, you know, at lunch sometimes at elementary school. And, you know, it's like you have to walk in the line. You have to sit down in the cafeteria. You can't – they just don't get a chance to burn any of that energy. And then – to complicate it, they they used to have, you know, above grade level teaching, grade level, and below grade level. So you, you were able to teach at a rate that was commensurate with the child's ability to uptake, you know, that information. And now it's like, well, that's discrimination. So we have to just teach to the average. And then you're going to you're gonna lose the, the top and the bottom kids. Uh, so I, I think that's really hurt education. You know, I've been in education, it feels like, for about five minutes. Uh, (laughs) Even though I instructed flying for my entire career, looking at these young men and women and the intentionality or maybe um, of whether we do things or we don't do things, but understanding specifically for boys. One of the things that Dr. Sachs talks about is there's three 
groups in our country that um, are are below average compared to other groups. One of those are affluent kids are going to do better on some of these academic tests than less affluent kids. Um, one is discrimination between white kids and maybe black or Hispanic kids. Uh, but the last one, actually, and it's very similar margins between those two groups, is girls first boys. So the the scoring deltas between those three groups are actually closely aligned. Now, the first two, I think there's a lot of research and understanding and programs that go into adjusting those. But I haven't seen anything yet that specifically do that with our population of girls and boys. Um, And if there's a listener that knows those, please find me on the Houston Christian website. I'm fascinated to learn more and to research more. Uh, But that's 50 percent of our population, you know, uh, that might not be being addressed intentionally when it comes to education. Right. And competition. I mean, you know, I was in sales and, you know, a, a whole room full of salesmen, you know, at a national meeting or something, you know. When they're trying to train or do anything, you just divide them up in tables and you put them in competing against one another. I still love to compete, and I think that's really important. I think how how boys uh, respond or remote, it's really the motivation. Yes, sir. So let's talk about video games and their effect on boys. So let me read an excerpt from Dr. Sachs' book here. After your son has spent two hours leading a squad of fighters in a raid on terrorist headquarters, (laughs) issuing commands through his headset-mounted microphone to his online comrades, and race through a hail of virtual bullets to destroy the enemy power generator. Well, studying Spanish grammar from a textbook can seem <laughs> hopelessly dull. So, Is this something you see and, and deal with at school, Travis? Well, right. Not just at school. Uh, I've seen it personally in my own life. I've seen it maybe as a father in some minions that are, that are underneath my household. You know, for me personally, I grew up playing video games. You know, they were mostly Atari or other home console games. Um, but... A lot of times I would even spend maybe my lawn-making money at the local arcade or at the uh, Five and Dime down the street, depending on what game they had in there. In in early 2004, I was a grown-up. We were living in the panhandle of Florida. I was flying F-15s at the time. We had some friends come visit right before my oldest son was born. Um, My buddy asked me if I'd ever played this game called Halo. It's a first-person action game, very similar to the description that you read from Dr. Sachs' book. Uh, And I hadn't, so we went down to Walmart, picked it up, uh, came back, and every evening after we'd had dinner with the ladies, he and I would sit down and we'd play this game for a couple hours. To the point, at the end of the weekend, when they left, I stayed up for about another week till 2 or 3 in the morning uh, playing this game of just... Uh, high adrenaline rush, goal setting, conquests, all these things. Me- meanwhile, I'm a fighter pilot. I get to fly, you know, multi-million dollar jets at work every single day. So uh, I-, I can understand um, the the exceptional level that video games bring. Um, I've flown in multi-million dollar simulators that are so realistic that your heart rate elevates, you sweat as you're in them and as you're flying, you even duck, you know, if a missile is shot at you. Um, This is all simulator, but they seem so realistic. You have those uh, physical reactions. And these games are that good. So very hard to compete with that uh, in the educational world. But they're they're not all bad. There, There is a social element, you know, where my older son gets online with his friends. They compete. Um, they challenge one another as they're going, and they draw closer as friends. They make memories, even in sometimes these virtual wars. Um, there's 
challenges where boys become better. There's actual winners and losers. There's leveling up, um, you know, to give you kind of that Goldilocks uh, challenge that you have. And so there's a lot I think we can actually learn from video gaming. So, yeah, it's. I, I can see, you know, my kids, I wasn't really a big gamer. And I think it was because, you know, when I'm older than you, I, I'm left-handed. Most of the <laughs> games were kind of oriented for a right hand, you know, and, and I'm not I'm not that uh, dexter, dexterity uh, driven on, on the, the consoles and everything now. But, I mean, when you're trying to teach and compete with something like that, it really has to significantly change the whole teaching environment, you know, in terms of being able to hold their attention. It does. Um, I, I don't think you can compete with that. There, there are things that parents can do in terms of limiting some of that access. There, there's an entire book that I read. It's called Glow Kids. Um, it talks about, um, you know, the impact on the brain and that it's m- more likened to an her- a heroin addict. If you live in that constant state of fight or flight for two, three, four hours at a time, we weren't built as humans. That's not part of God's creation for us to uh, withstand that intensity right. of um, intake, that intensity of decision making for those prolonged periods of time. Yeah, we did a, an episode last year, really about this time, and it was when the new Matrix movie had come out. You know, and so I, I named the show, you know, Escaping the Matrix, and that's what you know you have to do. You have to kind of unplug, like you know, the yes, back sir. of your head is like you got to get out of the Matrix at some point, you know, because it's not real. Yes, sir. So in the book, Sachs titles the fifth factor as the revenge of the forsaken gods. He quotes the findings of a large and prestigious study group stating that assigning meaning to gender in childhood and adolescence is a human universal that deeply influences well-being. So, Travis, what are your thoughts on that You know, as a private Christian school educator? And isn't that almost the opposite of the, of the equity discussions we hear so much in, in public education today? Right. Um well, I, I can't exactly speak to the discussions that are happening in public school. Um, I do agree with the findings that uh, I think it was a Dartmouth study where, where actually it came out of that Dr. Sachs was quoting. Um, I, I think one of the rich uh, parts of the study and the study findings is that we need to be able to speak truth to kids mm-hmm. on who they are, um, you know, really regardless of, of an institution, whether that's a school or a church or even in the household, I think speaking that truth to kids is one of our primary responsibilities. I think there's a lot more voices today that our kids had, that you had, that our teachers had. Um, they are they are hearing and have access 24-7. I mean, the television used to turn off, right? And they'd right. play the national anthem, and then it would be the multicolored screen and the, right. the solid tone. Um, not only do they have more than three channels on, on VHF and maybe a, <laughs> yeah. a UHF, depending on how good the antenna is, um, they have unlimited access 24-7 to both good and bad. There, there's no regulation. You know, right. uh, you know, the FAA might not be your favorite, um, but there is, you know, some sort of barrier that we had growing up that's almost um, not there uh, for right. these kids. So I think more than ever, it's exceptionally important for us to understand um, – which of those voices they're hearing are actually aligning with biblical truths, and then how we support those voices or how we uh, confirm those voices or lead with those voices in terms of their lives, both, again, as as fathers, as as teachers, as educators. Yeah, for sure. I like the way you put that. You know, it's not really in any kind of a negative context. Just call it voices. But there's 
a lot. It's a cacophony of voices yes, out there now for them, and it's hard to discern without guidance. Yes, sir. So you have this front seat you know, to a number of young men and the challenges that are facing them in their development. So tell our listeners how you are trying to assist these young men through the Passport to Lead program there at the Houston Christian High School. Sure. You know, the Passport to Lead program um, is modeled really around Matthew 419, which Christ has an initial calling that says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We break down the leadership program into those three elements, a calling or a followership, uh, a making or an intentionality, and then a practical learning um, or that Kistnet um, uh, um, heart knowledge. knowledge, yes, sir, heart knowledge, thank you, of getting out through an actual passport. Uh, the followership is, I think, exceptionally important. Um, for most of these kids, and if you look at most societies, their children look by observing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so as teachers, as coaches, as parents, that's the, the front, first, foremost of their learning is seeing what we are doing and how we model that. We're fortunate to have a bunch of student leaders around campus at Houston Christian that the incoming freshman or maybe a transfer student can see what it looks like to lead. So that's the first calling that we mimic kind of in Christ's discipleship-making model. The second is the I will make you. Uh, There is academic study that we have in leadership at HC. We have uh, not only a core freshman class that talks the spiritual dimension and the personal dimension, so who is God and who are we in God's image, but we also have uh, an interpersonal, so how, how do we communicate? How do we have compassion for each other? How do we work as a team? A managerial dimension, which the juniors focus on problem solving, um, managerial competencies, and a senior program of organizational design where they talk about culture and how we set that as organizational leaders. We talk strategic planning. We st- talk vision making, etc. That's one of the academic elements. We have a summer reading program, too, that have different books that align with those different dimensions. And then all of the teachers are tasked to teach one leadership class a quarter that should align, hopefully, with their curriculum. So if you are a science teacher, you might use a scientific method to align with problem solving, what that looks like, et cetera. If you're a history teacher, you might do a case study on a certain, uh, on a certain teacher. The third element or the fishing element is, hey, let's get out there and fish. We provide a very safe environment for kids to follow along with a passport where they can th- think of it as you're scouting, yeah. very similar to a merit badge, mm-hmm. but instead, uh, you know, but it's more of leadership um, emphasis. And so these kids get this heart knowledge of what it looks like to serve. They get a heart knowledge of what it looks like uh, to commit, to follow through, to complete a task, etc. And so ideally, as we're training them through that, they get to move on through, you know, following, making, and actually leading themselves. Yeah, fantastic. Sounds like a great program. How, how big is the school? What's the student population? About 500 right now. There's room for growth. So if there's listening parents that would like to join yeah. our mission, I think we have room. So like how many seniors then would that be? A senior class of about 150 or? Not quite. A little okay. less. I think the senior class this year is about 130, 135, okay. yeah. somewhere in there. All right. Super. Um so can you explain how you use scripture? You, I mean, you mentioned it already, but just was there any more emphasis since it's a Christian school? Sure. And, you know, <laughs> in the managerial competency class, one of the things that we do is after we have the quarter 
uh, test, we go back to the review and I have the students go find scriptures that align with all these different principles and elements that they have. And okay. they fill up the, the review. So they're reinforcing that. They're getting that like like the guardrails and the yes, bowling or something. Right. You know? If you read a Pat- yeah. Patrick Lencioni book or if you read some of these authors, what you'll find is a lot of their teachings have are scattered with biblical truths. All right. Well, in closing, you know, what, what final thoughts or advice do you have for our listeners to help them successfully launch themselves in some cases or their boys? Certainly. The, the first I would say is just pray. Pray for your kids. Pray for yourself. Um, kind of like that model, the, the first thing, our kids are going to follow us. And so we need to take a good self-inventory, especially maybe at the beginning of this new year, on what model are we setting? Are we showing them what's truly important in our lives? The second could be teaching. Are we making it intentional? You know, for me, my 18-year-old, I feel like, ooh, I should have studied all this stuff (laughs) 10 years ago maybe when he was an 8-year-old. But that's available. So, you know, if you're a boy dad and you read Boys Adrift, there's other ones, et cetera, that he's done. Um, and then finally, uh, you know, trust that the Lord has a plan for that guy and a road for that guy. Well, I, I'd love to go on more, but we're getting short on time. And uh, I want to just thank our sponsor, Prism Specialties. They're in the restoration business. So if you have electronics, textiles, artwork that may have been damaged, Prism can help you. And unfortunately, we're still experiencing some of those freezes. Those pipes are still breaking and you might need those services. So email us at wrestlingwiththeinnerman at gmail.com to offer input, suggestions, or feedback on any of our programs. And, uh, Just God bless, and thank you for being on the program. Yes, sir. Thank you. AM 1070, The Answer, Wrestling with the Inner Man. Thanks for listening to Wrestling with the Inner Man. With David Savage, we believe the winners in this ring. Courageously follow God's word. Love and protect God's woman. Excel at God's work. Batters God's world and his children. For more information, reach out to David at WrestlingWithTheInnerMan at gmail.com. That's WrestlingWithTheInnerMan at gmail.com. Tune in next time as Wrestling With The Inner Man tackles more tough topics to train up a generation of better men.